Hi, I'm Tom Melville, and welcome to Voice of Real Australia. Each episode, we bring you people, places and perspectives from beyond the big cities. Coming across a wombat in the wild is a rare treat. They're usually pretty shy and only come out at night. But the cuddly furballs are in trouble, as individuals throughout their range are being disfigured by a parasite, mange. Their skin becomes concrete and cracks. They get fly-blown and walk around with open wounds. They lose their hearing and their eyesight. They rot to death, often dying from secondary infections, starvation, or from wandering blindly onto the road. Wombats seem to be particularly vulnerable to mange, an infestation of parasitic mites. Other animals usually just shake it off, but in wombats it has a 100% kill rate if left untreated. Some local populations of wombats have nearly been wiped out by mange. So what's being done to help them? Producer Lara Corrigan followed a group of volunteers in the Blue Mountains who were trying to save the wombats. So essentially it's just like a, like in a kitchen now you have the doors that flip open and shut. If a wombat comes out, this will go down its back and if the wombat goes forward, it will come down the rear side of them. Melina Budden is showing me how she treats wombats for mange in the wild. We're on the Allens property, 250 acres in Megalong Valley, deep in the Blue Mountains, about two hours from Sydney. It's a grey day. Billows of fog drape down the sandstone escarpments that overlook the valley, phantom waterfalls. I currently live in Lake Macquarie, and I've driven all the way up to the Blue Mountains, which is about, and into the Megalong Valley, which is even further. So it's a three to three and a half hour drive. At some points last year, I was driving up to four and a half hours to get to a site to treat wombats. And that's every week? That's every single week. Melina is an ecologist and a zoologist. She's worked for national parks and the Department of Planning, Industry and Environment. But today, she's a wombat warrior, a wildlife volunteer giving up her time and money to help wombats. Why do you do it? Because I care way too much. I'm an an empath, unfortunately. (laughs) I think once you see what happened after the fires and I think once you see what the pain that these animals are in and when you see that the government's doing nothing, you just step up. Melina is the kind of person who tells you the names of the flowers you pass. Oxalis. The Latin names. She names the birds we can hear and today she has a special wombat warrior with her a timid dog, Ares, that she's been fostering and can't leave alone, not for one minute. Ares is being trained as an eco-dog, but still, we'll keep her away from any wildlife. Every time we find a mangy wombat, we give it a name and we photograph it, and obviously we treat it directly first. And then eventually, so for the first four to five weeks, we treat it directly with the pollen scoop, and then after that, as it starts to get better, we try to find it where its burrow is, and we treat them with the flaps. Melina is crouched in front of a wombat hole, topping up the treatment dose on a burrow flap. The flaps are made from pieces of core flute for sale signs donated by the local Century 21. They swing on a metal frame that's spiked into the ground at the entrance of the wombat's home. A Vegemite lid is fixed into a slot in the flap. This is what Melina is topping up with the chemical moxidectin, also known by its brand name, Cydectin. The clear liquid used on label to treat cattle for mange is dyed blue so it can be identified and doses can be tracked. Melina calls the chemical blue gold. Okay, the cheapest we found, um, we buy a cheap knockoff called Moxistar, which is still Cydectin, but a cheap name. Five litres will cost $420. And how many uh, treatments will that? So a property like this, where we have about 23 flaps out, the five litres will probably cover around eight weeks. 
and we've got to do 15 weeks. Okay. So it gets expensive. A couple of weeks ago, a wombat was put down on this property, Fritz. He was old, riddled with mange, and had secondary injuries that affected his walking. Melina enlisted the help of a local landowner and retired vet, John Isbista, to euthanise Fritz. John isn't exactly a wombat warrior. I'm not a lover of wombats. I'm a property owner down here, so uh, when I mention wombats, it's quite often attached to an expletive. The damage they do to fences, and in my experience over 50 years, they're in plague proportions here, way, way more than they used to be. So why are you involved in helping treat them then? I don't mind wombats, don't get the wrong idea. They're part of nature, they're a, they're a native animal, and I love, love the things really. I just like a bit of balance. And uh, I'm not sure why, but things have got a bit out of balance. Despite his initial scepticism, John lets Melina and others from the Blue Mountains Wildlife Volunteers Group treat wombats on his property and was happy to help when asked. The volunteers call John's property Crispy, named after its resident mangy wombat. We usually get contacted by a property owner because they'll find one mangy wombat. That mangy wombat will get a name. The one, unfortunately, that we named on his property was called Crispy because the one on his property wanted to warm itself in the fire. Had a pile burn going and he, he came down and hung around. He was very, he had no fur, he was quite cold, so I think he was trying to heat himself up because once they when they got mange and they're emaciated, because essentially it's a parasite, it will take away a lot of their food resources, so they get really skinny, they can't maintain their own body heat. So I, I'm assuming with this guy, he was trying to warm himself up. Hence the name Crispy, because I think he wanted to get in the fire. John says he's seen an improvement in the health of the wombats on his land. So I must admit, I was pretty sceptical about it. When I was approached about this, I thought, oh, I won't tell you what, exactly what I said, but I, I was very sceptical that the whole thing was going to prove anything and that it was going to work. To my surprise, certainly the wombats around my place, anywhere near the creek, they're certainly looking better. No, no doubt about that. Now, whether that overall is going to benefit the wombat population, I, I don't know. Time will tell, but boy, it's a pretty good start. But unfortunately, he thinks he might have caught something from Fritz. I'm a little bit suspicious. I'm more itchy than normal. I've had it three or four times in, in my, my veterinary career. It's quite an easy thing to treat. and It's quite an easy thing to treat in animals, except for wombats, of course, because you can't just walk up to every, every wombat walking around the paddock and put the treatment on and that's what this program's all about. That's right, humans can catch mange from wombats. We call it scabies. Melina has caught it a few times. It can attack a whole range of animals including cattle. In fact, it's believed mange came to Australia on humans and their dogs. Sacoptic mange is a disease that occurs in lots of different mammal species around the world, um, nearly 150 actually. And actually in Australia we have records of convicts on ships with scabies disease, which is the human form of it, and with people with their dogs having mange that date back well over 100 years. This is Dr Scott Carver, a wildlife ecologist at the University of Tasmania. He's been researching wombat mange. He saw how the parasite devastated the wombat population in Narantapu National Park on Tasmania's north coast, reducing the population by 94% in seven years. And what happened at that site was that there was this massive outbreak of mange that happened there and swept from the east side of this national park across to the west side slowly over a few years, basically driving the population to very near local extinction. But Scott says 
for the most part, mange doesn't cause conservation impacts, that it's not an extinction threat to the wombat species as a whole. We know that it's been around for at least a century in wombats, if not two centuries. Uh, so it's probably at some sort of stable level, whatever that is. Available research suggests that the average level of mange over large sort of spatial areas seems to be in the area of sort of 2 to sort of 5%, maybe up to about 10%. But at smaller scales, that uh, number varies a lot more between basically areas where we have no mange disease in wombats and areas where we can have, you know, 40%. This is the official government stance on mange. It's an awful affliction, an animal welfare issue, but not an extinction threat. Mange has been here for a long time, as long as Europeans, and there are still wombats around. Unfortunately, we don't really, and I mean we, right across the world, we don't tend to worry too much until something's brought to the brink of extinction, and that's the point at which attention gets paid. That's Amanda Cox. She's from the Wombat Protection Society of Australia, an organisation that cares for wombats and the people who care for them. The charity provides Melina with her licence to treat wombats. Amanda, inventor of the burrow flap, founded the Wombat Protection Society 30 years ago. We began by contacting anybody and everybody who's ever had anything to do with wombats and talking about this issue with mange, trying to find out what they were doing, what had worked, what hadn't worked. And we now also have researchers who are doing that in a more, um, you know, scientific method than, than our way back then, which was literally to pick up a phone connected to a curly cord and <laughs> speak to people. Amanda has raised orphan wombats, joeys whose mums were hit by cars or died of mange. You don't raise them to keep them as pets. You raise them to release them. And you spend two years looking after this little thing from a little pinky to, you know, someone who's playful and happy to someone who you now feel very proud when it looms, in inverted commas, to dig a burrow. And you've got to let it go. You've got to also then go, I want an environment out there where you're safe. And I don't want to see or hear a year later you've turned into this horrendously concretised, fly-blown myth. Wombats are not classified as threatened species. In the ACT, there is a government-funded program targeting mange, administered through wildlife groups and volunteers, but in New South Wales, Victoria and Tasmania, those groups do it with limited government support. In order to treat a wombat in New South Wales, you need a licence. Like I said, Melina has a federal licence through the Wombat Protection Society. You also need to be a wildlife carer. It's a lot of red tape for volunteers, and with 15 weeks of weekly treatment across hundreds of sites, people power is essential. Melina's 28 active volunteers treat through her licence. She trains them, and if anything goes wrong, she's held responsible. Amanda says it's easier to kill a wombat in Australia than save it. Most of them do it out of their own pocket. Very few of them get anywhere near reimbursed, their costs, etc. We're asking people to do so much and then putting on top of them regulations that just don't make sense. It is much easier to go and get a permit if you don't want wombats on your land to shoot them than it is to be able to treat them. And that's appalling. 
And that's across Australia. And that's disgusting. And I think a whole lot of members of the public really do not know. And we should be able to do better. And we can. So why doesn't the government pay more attention to the plight of mangy wombats? Well, Amanda says part of the problem is that wombats aren't that popular. Up until, you know, the mid-70s in um, some parts of Australia, there were bounties put on wombats. Farmers were actually asked to get rid of them. So this horrible parasitic disease, lots and lots of farmers saw it as very positive. They went, shoot a healthy wombat, but leave one with mange because it's going to kill off other wombats. So we were also battling with a little bit of a historical negativity towards wombats. This is an example of an extensive wombat burrow that has collapsed. And it's the reason why you find a lot of farmers don't like wombats because it does cause quite extensive damage. And this is a good example of that. Back on the Allens property in Megalong Valley, John Allen shows me a collapsed burrow system near a creek. A whole chunk of the hillside is missing. There's a depression of about three metres by two, one and a half metres deep. But you can see under here, the whole wombat hollow was covered. They came in and then the whole thing just collapsed uh, in heavy rain like we've had now. Um, it's not too bad here because it doesn't impact the cattle. But if you're out in the paddock, it's a bit of an issue. Melina is quick to point out that wombats are good for the soil. Wombats and lyrebirds and echidnas and bandicoots are the kind of essential animals to an ecosystem because without those animals to um, help turn the soil and oxygenate the soil and help with the nutrient cycle, then ecosystems start to die off. The burrows and collapsed systems don't threaten the cattle too much here near the creek. But if a wombat starts digging too close to the Allen's vines or prime paddock, they'll fill in the hole, forcing them away. But when John and wife Jill noticed the wombats were sick, they were anxious to do something about it. We've been conscious of increased mange for some three or four years since the drought. Uh, It's a serious issue. Uh, We would have probably 60 burrows on the place and uh, I suppose there'd be upwards of, of 30 wombats here. So it's quite a colony and uh, we could see the whole colony starting to decline and we needed to do something about it. I got such a shock one morning because he'd been around for a while and then I looked at one side of him and I noticed it was absolutely red raw and I said to my husband, he's been savaged by something, a fox or something's got him and he's got through that. And then I spoke to Melina and she said, no, 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 that's what the mange does, Their, their skin, just their fur just falls off. And that's what had happened to this one. But I think because we managed to get the um, ivermectin onto, onto that one, and I think it survived because we haven't seen it. And it, you know, if it had died, I imagine it would have died around here and we would have seen it. Jill Allen says the wombats seem to be getting better thanks to the work of the volunteers. They have been involved for a very short time and just in the last couple of weeks we haven't seen any sick ones. So hopefully that's a good sign, because if we were getting higher numbers of sick ones, we'd be seeing more of them. My husband and I go down and check the, the flaps to see whether they've all... And mostly they've all been disturbed, so I'd say we're getting a fairly high dosage rate out there, which is good. Jill says she's happy to share her home with the wombats. 
I know further west, a lot of farmers, um, when I was growing up, had this view of wombats as being, you know, bulldozers of the bush and weren't very happy about them. But we find, you know, you can coexist very easily because they tend to live in sort of riverbanks or sort of they tunnel in slope areas. Uh, on our place, the last few weeks, I've probably seen about 250 kangaroos, of three different varieties, wallabies, uh, eastern grey and the wallaroos, quite dramatic. Uh, I've seen two echidnas, I've seen three goannas, a number of black snakes, uh, death adder. Um, we have a haven for natural wildlife, and that's a joy. An hour or so into our expedition on the property, we spot one of the marsupials. At a distance, the wombat looks like a rock. It took John's trained eye to see it. I'm pretty excited. It's the first time I've seen a wombat in the wild. But when they're out in the daylight like this, it's because they're sick. There's two schools of thought around them coming out in the daytime to eat. It's either due to increased energy demands. So if you're sick and you're not well, your body is fighting off an infection, which is what's happening with the wombats, and that they need more energy, so they're coming out and they're eating more in the daytime. But the second school of thought around that is when sarcoptic mange starts to get really bad, their eyes get very encrusted and they can't see as well so that they're coming out during the daytime because they can't see very well at nighttime and it's easier for them to find food. That's Dr Haley Stannard a zoologist at Charles Sturt University. There are a few theories as to why wombats are particularly susceptible to mange, why it kills them 100% of the time if left untreated. Haley says it could be because it's an introduced parasite and wombats haven't built a resistance to it. But it's also unclear why some local populations are hit harder than others. One of our study populations in the Walgan Valley, we believe that that population has quite a low genetic diversity and that may make that population more susceptible because they have up to 40% mange, but in other populations that we've studied, they have lower rates. Dr Scott Carver, who we heard from earlier, says the wombat's underground home could play a role. And wombats like to move house quite frequently. So about every four to 10 days, a wombat will shift from its burrow that it's living in and move into a new one nearby. And so we think that this sort of mites get shed from wombats into these burrows and then another wombat coming in can pick it up that way. And so we've recently been trying to do some research to understand just how long we think these mites can survive in these burrows. Haley's research suggested cooler temperatures could make it more prevalent. We, in our studies, didn't find a direct link to a particular season, but we did find a link with rainfall because in times where there's higher rainfall, it's very damp and it's much cooler, it's much more easier for the mites to survive off the wombats for longer. So they'll hang out on grasses or around the entrance of a burrow, for example, and when another wombat comes past, they can jump on them. Scott's research suggested an overpopulation of wombats in Narantapu National Park contributed to the devastating outbreak there. And we think it possibly uh, hit sort of a tipping point where the sort of abundance of wombats became so high that it maybe sort of maximised the number of wombats that could use the available burrows and that this sort of 
resulted in increasing transmission of the mite among wombats because there was possibly more sharing of burrows going on at that time. The wombat we spot looks scruffy. Melina tries to sneak up on it to administer a dose using a pole and scoop. It's a temp pole with a spray can lid duct taped to the end. But this wombat isn't too far gone. It's turned our way, round eyes on us. It scurries down a nearby burrow. As we drive to another property, Melina tells me about the first time she saw a wombat sick with mange when she was in the Blue Mountains helping wildlife after the fires. I didn't know what to do, but a particularly sick wombat down there in the, the valley that he, he was either going to get hit by a car or die from starvation. So I ended up picking up a 40 kilo wombat from Morgan Valley on a Sunday afternoon and I drove it 350 kilometres to Rongazoo. Not many people would do that. But I was that devastated and I just, I was just after seeing so many animals dying. Even the animals we brought in with burns, half of them died. I was like, not, not, this animal's not dying on my watch. So I took him into Taronga, but unfortunately he ended up dying in care. Melina says mange is a big threat to wombats as a species. Now, Northern Hairy Bay's wombat critically endangered is only one population left. If mange gets into them, it will annihilate them and destroy the entire population, which means the extinction of the Northern Hairy Nose wombat. Common wombats are now no longer called common wombats for a reason. They're now called the bare-nosed wombat because they're no longer as common as they used to be. They're no longer at the point of being threatened, but if things continue, they will become threatened. She says it's an accumulation of problems that's threatening the wombats and making the impact of mange worse. All of these environmental stresses on their own won't take out a species, not. But you've got to start looking at what's going on with major habitat fragmentation, habitat destruction, Farmers are given freely given licenses to shoot wombats. Uh, and then you've got things like major droughts, fires, and then mange on top of that. Mange is getting affecting wombats more, uh, worse these days because of the accumulative impacts over time. Yeah, great kettle's boiling. Melina takes me over the other side of the Blue Mountains to Canimbla, where I meet Anna Cullerton, a wires carer who treats wombats for mange in New South Wales's central west. I was actually out and about treating wombats when I got the call saying, oh, there's a wombat here, but I'm going to get someone to come and shoot it. <laughs> and I said, just wait for me to come and then we'll make the decision. Anyway, put a wheelie bin down in front of him and he just went straight in and he was really smelly with infection. Uh, he certainly couldn't hear or smell me. He had no desire to move away from me. Usually wombats don't fare well in captivity. That's why they're treated in the wild, using the burrow flaps or pollen scoops. But Anna successfully treated Marky at home. There's already an established burrow in that enclosure and he went down it, so I kind of had a terrible feeling that he'd just curl up and die. But he didn't. He came out, he became my friend. <laughs> he never tried to, to get out until he was pretty much healed. He was just really a little bit skinny. Anyway, I let him out, thinking that the only way he was going to get big and strong was to be a real wombat. And then three months later, he came back with mange. 
but he was a bit fatter. <laughs> and I just treated him in the open. I didn't try and contain him at all. Anna says the problem is really bad in the region she covers, from here to Bathurst and even as far out as Mudgee. It's a critical problem. It's so bad. It's insane, I think, that there's these wombat populations that are just pretty much being wiped out by mange. And lots of people say to me, oh, we have wombats, but there's no mange. I don't believe that. I don't think there's any wombat population that's free of mange. I was told that wombats are solitary animals and that their antisocial behaviour means they don't readily pass mange on. But Melina and Anna have observed otherwise. So there's one particular burrow that I'm treating and there's six different wombats that live in that burrow. Now, the wombat that's really sick never gets the dose. <laughs> and the wombat that always comes out first got better real fast. And so to have a camera there is so important so I know exactly what's going on. And we say that it's a 12-week process of the burrow flaps. I've had a flap on that burrow for 25 weeks and I'm in no hurry to take it down because the wombats that are in there, some of them aren't well enough to stop the treatment. Wires is better funded and more well-known than Melina's wombat warriors, but still, Anna says, there's not a lot of financial support. Uh, Wires, which is donations, they pay for the cydectin, which is the chemical we use. I'm basically a full-time volunteer, so uh, no, I'm not funded. (laughs) Uh, My kilometres aren't funded, but I do get donations for batteries for cameras and SD cards and there's so much more to it than just the medication. There's no funding. There's nothing to to be able to like start a, a program and see it go right through. Nobody's covering the costs of that. Melina's group, the Blue Mountains Wildlife Volunteers, rely on crowdfunding and donations. Anna says the government should be doing more to help eradicate mange. I think we just need to tell everyone that they have to lobby to government bodies to eradicate mange. It has to be eradicated. So that's going to be funding to veterinary scientists. The research has to come up with with something that's a quick fix Because at the moment, you know, months and months and months to treat a wombat that can then reinfestated. Yeah, no, it's got to be like the the little Tassie devils with their facial tumours. That it was so scary that, you know, everyone thought we were going to lose them. And they've done it because they got the funding. And now we need to do the same for the wombats. Amanda Cox from Wombat Protection says one of the things holding the movement back is that there's no unified treatment program for the marsupials. There's also still so much we don't know about wombats themselves. People can't agree on whether they're social or solitary, why they're particularly vulnerable to mange, or even if they're in danger of dying out or a pest terrorising farmers. 
The wildlife charities I spoke to want to see more support to treat mange and wombats. But until then, volunteers will keep at it, like Melina, who travels three and a half hours every week to top up the burrow flaps. Or zoology student Sarah Williams from Katoomba. Let's go treat some wombats, guys. Come on. Who was with us in Megalong Valley, even though the smell of moxidectin makes her feel sick. And I can understand why. They're adorable creatures. Come in, honey. Just watch you. Anna had two juvenile wombats living with her when I visited. Candy and Ernie. No. Anna has a purpose-built enclosure on her property, a pool-sized area with cast-iron fencing that goes deep into the ground. Inside it, Anna knocks near the entrance of a burrow. After some time, a wombat shyly pokes out. She sees it's Anna and perks up, becoming friendly and playful. She's bigger than Anna's Lakeland Terrier, but still has the big eyes and soft features of a baby. Candy let me pat her. Yeah, she's getting a bit big. Yeah. Got anything to say, Candy? That's Candy the Wombat there sniffing at Laura's microphone. <laughs> if you'd like to donate or get involved, we've included some links in our show notes. That's it for this episode of Voice of Real Australia. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen and I'll be back in a couple of weeks. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. If you'd like to share your story, you can email voice at ostcommunitymedia.com.au. That's voice at ost, A-U-S-T, communitymedia.com.au. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash voiceofrealaustralia. You can follow me on Twitter at tommelville124. Voice of Real Australia is recorded in the studios of the Newcastle Herald on Awabakal land and in Canberra on Nunawal and Nambri land. It's produced by Lara Corrigan and me, your host, Tom Melville. This is an ACM podcast. Mm-hmm.